when I think of these sort of shifts, I think of, you know, when the iPhone came out, when blockchain was, you know, emerging as with different use cases, you know, real paradigm shifts in business, like internet, mobile, blockchain, maybe AI is kind of like that next frontier, if you will. And you start to get into all these like, crazy philosophical questions in terms of like, where does this end? For, for me as a future of work investor, like, I think about that a lot. Where do we draw the line of AI really helping us as humans do our jobs versus getting to the point where it starts to actually become a problem for us? Welcome to the Vitalize podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the director of marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. And today we have the first episode in a new series. The Vitalize podcast presents Off Topic. In this first episode, we have Gail Wilkinson, founder and managing partner at Vitalize, and Andrew Gazdecki, founder of MicroAcquire, going through a wide variety of topics as we wrap up the year here in 2022. Let's get to it. Gail and Andrew, welcome. Thanks Hello. for having me on the show. What's going on? <laughs> oh, just getting ready for the end of the year. Excited for all that's coming next year. Uh, we're going to get right to what I want to hear from you, Andrew. Uh, I've seen your real, you're on Twitter trying to get Elon to give you this, this handle that's available for your new company. <laughs> Tell me about how the effort is going. Are you going to get the handle you need on Twitter? Tell me more. Yeah. So that is part of like a marketing strategy and it's just really fun. Love it. It's, <laughs> it's really, I, you know, if we get it or don't get it, it doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a, it's a damn Twitter handle, but I'm just the type of person where you know, if there's kind of like something I want to go after, I have fun with it. And I went to the Twitter HQ, which is like close to my house with like the no sign. And the hardest part of that was this just making the damn sign because <laughs> uh, you got to like Sharpie it in. Um, but the 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 honest truth behind it is um, since we are rebranding from micro acquire to acquire, I told my team, you know, we really need to have people begin rooting for acquire not micro acquire and so this was just this has been a fun way for people to kind of you know we've seen a lot of people to my surprise like root for us like yeah twitter give it to them <laughs> and so that's you know really encouraging and, and fun but you know the the marketing sort of thought process behind it was you know we we have so much brand affinity with micro acquire um, we wanted to kind of carry that conversation over to our new brand before it goes live, which is going to be um, uh, first week of, of January. So when this comes out, we might already fully be acquired.com, but it's just, it's just fun. It's, it's kind of the short stint of it. I'm here for it. Here for it. With as much as you both are on Twitter, what do you think of the the Elon takeover in the last number of months? Gail, go for it. I mean, to be honest, I don't really care that much. I haven't noticed that big of a difference from VC startup Twitter. I do think it's light, but I also feel like just because of the pandemic and what's happened in the last two years, everybody is tired of everything right now. So there's just kind of a, a lag in terms of engagement. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's unfortunate some of the stuff that I'm seeing in terms of how he's treated the team. And I don't necessarily agree with everything that he's doing from... Um, a, a speech and censorship and safety perspective, but I think it's all going to be fine at the end of the day and it'll, it'll regulate itself and level out. And I don't, I don't foresee any kind of doomsday coming for Twitter. Andrew, what do you think? 
Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, the only knock I'd give on Elon is he hasn't freed acquired. <laughs> or just <laughs> the handle. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I'm, I'm one of those people, I try to just stay in my lane and not get distracted. And there's just been so much news that isn't relevant to what I'm yeah. trying to accomplish day to day. So, you know, I can have opinions on how he runs the company or how he should do this or shouldn't do that. But I kind of stay away from that. I'm not a person that says, you know, hey, that's, you know, completely incorrect, Elon. Um, you know, I just, it's a Twitter. He owns it. It's his business. So I, I've been very sort of tunnel vision in terms <laughs> of just, it's distracting. I'll say that. Um, yeah. And I agree with Gail in terms of, I, if there are things I don't agree with, it's just, you know, it's, it's it's caused a lot of thrash and i think probably i empathize for the team at twitter in terms of just having uh, a leader do that to you almost on a daily basis where it's kind of you know on a saturday the whole you know company is just hearing about different changes i think that's just a very distracting work environment so um but yeah i, I don't i i think a lot of it's just noise yeah, there's a lot of hot air, right? It, it seems like from a lot of people probably take some things too far. I agree on the team side of things as well. But then also, to your point, Andrew, like, are, how are all these people running their businesses still and spending so much time following this and looking? I don't understand some of that. It's crazy. People are like, oh, freaking out about everything. Like, I'm never going to use the platform again. Okay, that's your decision if it's like the ownership and I get that. But also, some people, are they say that and they're on it the next day and the next day and the next day. Like, you don't have to use it. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, one thing I will say is uh, startup founders and VCs will never leave. We'll, ne we'll never <laughs> leave Twitter. <laughs> we ain't going anywhere. I just have a very scientific pull-up right now asking people this very question in startup and, and uh, VC Twitter. And about two-thirds are saying they're definitely staying. And only 8% say they leave, which matches the data I read, which is expecting about 10% of people to leave in the next two years. But I don't even think that's that big of a deal. I mean, it's, t it's you know, 330 million Twitter folks worldwide and you're losing like 30 of them. I don't, I just don't see what the big deal is. I think Elon's going to find new ways to monetize this. And I think it should be a fairly healthy business because like, from my perspective, this is the best UI. Like the rest of the rest of the UIs just suck from a social media perspective. And that's the thing that I care about the most is how can I get good content in a way that makes sense and it's logical and share that out and get great engagement. I think Twitter has done a fabulous job with that. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, I, I would just add, you know, I, I guess to add to what I was saying um, earlier, the, the one thing I would probably put myself as is just an optimist. Like, I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping things work yeah. out. You know, right now, it, there's a lot to talk about and probably debate on, you know, things that happen that shouldn't have happened. Um, but I hope in the end it all, it all works out. So I'm optimistic on that end. Yeah. I have one more question about Twitter for you, Andrew. So I'm, I'm a big fan. You have very short tweets. They're always positive. How, how, what's your strategy? How do you come up with these? That's a good question. Um, so if you look at most of my tweets, you'll see, I just write them from my iPhone. So it's usually, I think when people try to create like a personal brand or they try to, um, you know, 
think really hard about like what is a really good tweet it just kind of you get like writer's block or whatever maybe and it's also not fun like that's that's not fun to me that sounds like a job i don't want to do that um so most of my tweets are kind of and i I appreciate the compliment thank you um (laughs) but i do have some awful tweets as well but they're usually i'm just i wake up in the morning and um i used to journal a lot so i'd wake up in the morning and journal not a weird journal like your diary just you know, kinda, Wait, why, is, you why know, is it a weird journal? <laughs> like it's Here just I a am. journal where I track, you know, <laughs> what's going well in the business, you know, goals I have for the day, um, things that, you know, and I still do this. So I've always been kind of an avid sort of writer. Um, and I just like, you know, inspiring other founders. And I just think, and that's kind of like my why, if you will, um, is just motivating other founders, inspiring other founders. Um, and I know that sounds super, super cheesy, but I really do get, um, like I, I really, my favorite tweets are the ones where I get a response, like I, I needed to hear that or something like that. Cause startups are so goddamn hard. And sometimes just, you know, that extra sort of like, Hey, it's kind of hard for everybody, but like, keep going. That's probably like a tweet I would write, you know, <laughs> like, um, like 10,000 versions of that, basically <laughs> out there right now. And you'll have a few thousand by the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it just, it's just, it just, you know, I try to just keep it, you know, light and sometimes I'll share some, you know, more tactical stuff, but none of it's really planned. It's really just, sometimes it's just what I'm doing that day or what I'm thinking that day. So yeah. Wait, Andrew, you're telling me that you're not having chat GPT write all your tweets right now. No, so I'll be so we can put this on the podcast. Drake ghost writes all of my tweets. Um, so that's <laughs> I knew I, it. I knew it. That, that I always right. thought. <laughs> straight yeah, from the six. <laughs> yep, yep. So that's it's not me. It's not me. No, I have been um, accused of being a bot like a hundred <laughs> times. <laughs> like, and I, I just all right. I, that's a compliment. <laughs> I, I got some of that too. Someone replied like, I thought Elon got rid of all the bots. It's like some of my tweets. I was like, bro, what? Are you kidding me? Like, whatever. <laughs> like, okay, moving on. <laughs> like, spend That's your time better. Busting there everywhere. I know. I just ignore them or block them or mute them. Block. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's a really good quote around that too. Just like as your um, social media presence gets bigger that I always like to to just think about is um, I, I might – Bosch's quote, but it's, um, you know, he or she who takes offense to something that has no meaning for offense is a fool. And then someone who takes offense for something that is meaning to be offensive is a greater fool. So what that basically means is when someone's trying to they say something mean or rude or something like that, and you had to get to you, um, you know, you're really just kind of feeding into the troll then in them. And there's another quote, um, around like, you know, some like pigs like to play in the mud. And if you join with them, you might get muddy too. <laughs> so sometimes people are like, Hey, your tweets <laughs> suck. Like, or I vehemently degree disagree with you. And I just, I like, I still like, I'm like, you know, I respect we're, your opinion. We're, we're going to look up that actual pig quote for people later, but, uh, I know the quote you're talking about. <laughs> I like that one too, though. Like you can't tell if everyone's playing in the mud or whatever, like they're all it, get dirty. It, <laughs> the the quote the quote is if you wrestle with a pig you might get muddy or something like that. Look it up. It basically just I'm looking means, it up. 
it just means you know you know don't uh don't don't engage and you don't know, get stuff. involved it, yeah if someone disagrees with you just you know respect their opinion move on with your life it may be a, a Mark Twain quote if this is a different one. Never wrestle with a pig. It gets mud all over you, and the pig likes it. It's one of the quotes. There's another one, I'm sure. Yeah, that's the one. That. That's the one I was referring to. <laughs> I agree, though, and especially on Twitter, right, where the, it is like the the water cooler of the internet where everyone is there discussing every main topic, whatever, in any case, and like it's an endless like black hole if you want it to be in terms of going on and on. And one thing though with that, on the Twitter thing is I want I mentioned the chat GPT thing. Here's what both of you think about AI. If you play with chat GPT at all, any applications, things you're excited about, interested in, I want to get your takes. Gail, maybe you start first. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's important for, you know, I'll answer from my seat as a VC. I've talked to sure. some of my founders about it. It generative content is coming and it's here and it's going to continue to get even more, um, you know, high quality and um, that's going to happen faster and faster. So how, how are my companies in, in the portfolio thinking about it? Um, I, I think that it's um, that the tool today surfaces, you know, something that's a really great start from a content perspective, but like I have thought for a long time, we already have way too much content out there. And so um, there's still a huge problem. Like, how do you make that content really unique, differentiated, helpful for the audience you're intending it to be? And I think that piece is missing right now, but in the future, it might not be. So it's something to definitely watch. Um, one of the one of the things that I I find nuts about ChatGPT is that you know it's it costs so much to run it. I mean, it's it still yeah. requires a ton of power. And um, like, how are they going to monetize that in the future? So that is something that's interesting to think through. Yeah, I read um I think it's three million a day to yeah. run it. A day. So that's a billion a year if I'm doing my math right. Yeah, um, it, and it's Microsoft that's funding most of this, right? I'm not sure, but that's a lot of money per year. Um it's a lot, yeah. Yeah, I think Microsoft is taking the stance that they, they are investing in this to try to make a cloud play. So the same, same reason that they bought the gaming company earlier this year, like they're really trying to figure out how can they beat Amazon and Google and they're making bets in these areas. So I mean, it's interesting that Microsoft is behind a lot of this. I didn't know that. I had no idea. I, I'll give my take from just a, a marketer founder position. I think um, the tool's fantastic. I mean, I've tried it and I'm like, whoa, like, and I think those moments in, just product development are just so exciting. And I think it came at a refreshing time too, just kind of with how this last year has played out for just tech in general. Um, so that, you know, when I, when I think of these sort of shifts, I think of, you know, when the iPhone came out, when, uh, you know, blockchain was, you know, emerging as, you know, with different use cases, you know, real paradigm shifts in business, like, internet mobile blockchain maybe ai is kind of like that next frontier if you will um but i always believe you know the the best form of marketing and this is obviously biased because this is kind of the marketing i like to do is more creative marketing marketing that doesn't feel necessarily like marketing um and you know kind of has element of humor personality to it um but there's obviously a ton of great ways that i can see you know chat gbt being implemented for you know a full seo blitz strategy or something like that but then i think on the other side 
you know, what if Google kind of figures out an article that's generated on chat GPT and then just starts. And I, I think that is very likely. Um, I mean, yeah. why wouldn't they? You're just generating thousands of articles. Especially um, if it's a Microsoft thing. They will yeah, that, that's a good point too. <laughs> See, so for sure. <laughs> so I think it's, it's anyone. It's like, you know, we got the, I put in some funny stuff in there, some hard questions and I was surprised. So, uh, we don't have any use cases for it yet um, uh, at, at Acquire, but I'm sure we will in, in the near future. It's it's cool. It's interesting. If it is from a content perspective and that like the SEO keyword rich, whatever articles and like to pump out content. Yeah, I can see the value of it. But to your point, if it gets kind of unranked or deranked in Google, you're screwed. And Google won't do it. I talked about actually my friend at Google this week and he was like, yeah, reputational risk wise, it's not worth it for Google at least right now in terms of that, um, to do anything like this in that, in this capacity, at least where chat GPT can do it in terms of open, open AI running it. But to your point, it's like first inning, as you mentioned, Andrew, it's just the beginning. Like this, this is so early in all this stuff. Like we'll see how this kind of progresses and what, what happens from it. Um, I think be curious. Just, just, just to kind of maybe, uh, sorry if I'm totally twisting this, but no, the perfect. deep, <laughs> the deep fakes, the deep fakes are the ones that freak me out. Like I put up a video today and someone DM me is like, is this real or is this like a deep fake? And it's a real video. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be, I saw a video, it was like Morgan Freeman and this yes. guy standing together. And it was shockingly, like if I saw the video, I wouldn't know that's not Morgan Freeman. And so I think that'll be a little interesting. Like how does that play out? Um, I also That's think it could be cool. Scary. Maybe get Morgan Freeman like announcing all your product <laughs> updates and stuff like that. I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> um, narrating your book, you know. Um, but that I think that's also another interesting, you know, piece of technology that's kind of taking us all by storm. Yeah, the deepfake side of it and dangerous too. Yeah, they had like the president. I think that when Obama was president, they had did, had some video on viral with like him. It's like that's not actually him. It's like deep fake, and it's just like, oh, people get so pissed about anything in politics. And if you have a deep fake in it, then just inciting that anger in politics even more, which is not needed. So, kind of scary in that way. One one last comment I'll make about from just my perspective on Chat uh, GPT and how it's kind of affected you know my day to day. Um, is I think a lot of people, especially like on Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you're creating content, people kind of have this sort of like, is this real? Is it not real? And that's going to be an interesting sort of, I guess, mental filter when, and then how will you, like, is if you create content with chat GPTs, is that bad? Like, or is that good? And depending on which context, obviously a blog post is fine. Um, but if you're, you know, messaging out, I don't know, sales emails or, you know, writing Twitter threads or something like that, or a book with chat GPT, and it's, you really, basically what I'm trying to say is, you know, the creation of content and you didn't really make the content and then people have to kind of discern whether you made it or not. I think that'll be kind of interesting as it gets more advanced and you just can't tell the difference anymore. No, the personal spin is really important. Um, and that's why like the authentic content, the differentiated, the, the stuff that 
today you can't fabricate using a tool like that, I think is, is still what attracts people. Um, it connects with people in a way that the, the AI stuff can't yet. When, to your point, when we can't discern that, you know, we're going to need AI to discern it for us. And you get, start to get into all these like, crazy, you know, philosophical questions in terms of like, where does this end? Um, and I think, you know, for, for me as a future of work investor, like I think about that a lot, like how, where is the, where do we draw the line of AI really helping us as humans do our jobs versus getting to the point where it starts to actually become a problem for us? Where do you think the opportunities are with AI, both in like Gail and your work as a VC, Andrew running micro, soon to be acquire, uh, where, <laughs> where, where, do you, where do you think there's opportunities even to, like, to help you in your day to day as AI stuff? I'll answer first from a future work perspective. Um, there's still a ton of, of, you know, menial stuff that we're all doing. Um, AI within the next couple of years is going to make it so that we don't have to do that. Let me give you an example. Um, I do not know why today there is not a solution for me to automatically connect people in my network. So I'm talking about something that goes to my LinkedIn or whatever database I connected to and says, okay, Gail wants to connect one of her portfolio company founders with CTOs in this industry, um, you know, with this educational background, whatever the, whatever the query is, automatically find them, rank order them, create individualized emails to each of them. I can quickly review them and it sends them off. But, you know, there's still some, a lot of the pre-work that I have to put into that process. And yes, there are some tools that do a little, little bit of it. But moving forward, I think there's going to be much more comprehensive AI solutions that completely replace things that, you know, we do and we have to do today, but they're not really value add. Andrew, yeah. what do you think? I think there's, I think there's going to be a ton of, um, you know, interesting use cases, you know, especially for just startups in general. Like one example would be any startup right now that's running like an SDR AD, AE program, just take your email sequences and plug it into chat GBT and you'll probably get better, you know, written emails out of that. That's one easy win. We've actually done that. And like, you know, ones that we use, and I'm like, that's better. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you know, stuff like that, you know? And then I think just, you know, in terms of content, I think there's a use for it if you're writing on, you know, maybe a, a very, uh, you know, broad topic or even specific topic, but but still, you know, being able to add in that extra, you know, 20, 30% to make it unique, make it um, authentic to your brand's voice. That's kind of the use cases that come immediately to mind for me. Um, but I candidly haven't dove too much in farther than that. Do you think it applies, Andrew, to you in terms of acquisitions, people selling businesses, anything on that process that helps in terms of using AI to apply to what you kind of inherently help people with at Acquire? Uh, that's a good question. I would say more on this. We're looking more on the side of machine learning, like in terms of like valuation models, um, just connecting a startup with a buyer based on their specific acquisition um, mandates, but in terms of, you know, how we would plug in, uh, you know, AI into microquire, I maybe like cleaning up like the listings or the sims that we create, I could see a big opportunity there. Um, you know, sim, if for listeners that aren't familiar, it's just an acronym for 
like a reverse pitch deck when you're selling your company confidential information memorandum. So that could be an opportunity. I just thought I just thought of that now. I didn't I hadn't previously thought <laughs> of that. But that could actually help because you know when founders come on to acquire, they write the, their life story and just kind of breaking that down into something more concise. Uh, that that could be a fantastic use case. One thing I'm curious about with kind of having both of you here, uh, obviously with acquire, lots of people at different levels getting acquired all the time uh, in the VC world. Companies also get acquired as well. Uh, I want to start you, Andrew, with this one. Top acquisitions of last year, there are some big ones. We had like Adobe acquiring Figma. <laughs> what do you think about the biggest potential in terms of an acquisition that could happen on your platform to start with? I'm curious, Andrew. Uh, maybe Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> no, <I'm> <laughs> Come on over to acquire. <laughs> uh, the biggest, you know, so we can handle transactions in the hundreds of millions if the value is there. Because um, we work with just, you know, some of the largest private equity firms in the world. We don't, we aren't touching like the vistas and stuff like that or anything like that, who are going to pull down a public company and take it private. Um, but I think, uh, that's a tough question. I don't want to put a name out there. Cause then I'm like, you're getting acquired, you know? <laughs> um, exactly. But I, I, I guess, you know, if I had to say, you know, a company that I'd love to see acquire another company, um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for just general consolidation. I think we're going to see a lot of that just naturally. Um, and it likely won't take place on, on micro acquire, but, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for possibly some of the no code platforms to acquire like a media company. We've seen that with, you know, Zapier acquiring, uh, maker pad. We saw Stripe acquiring indie hackers. We saw HubSpot acquire the hustle. Um, I can see that happening a lot more. And we work with, you know, also public companies like that. So um, I'd say that's probably some of the acquisitions that I'm excited about to see on MicroCard. If we finally get one, like a big name and a big sort of media company, uh, that would be awesome to see. So that's probably my 2023 bet of the coolest acquisition. On, on the note of acquisitions for you, Gail, what, what have you noticed in terms of price or things you've seen of companies getting acquired or are they going to get acquired because the market's been crazy in 2022 uh, in terms of even valuations, which then affects a lot of stuff. I, just what are you seeing in terms of acquisitions or anything you're saying, Gail? Since, you know, Q2 of this year, we've seen a slowdown in terms of exit interest. And I think that's just because of inherent fear in the market and what, what happens when you've got a macro environment like we just went through, we're still sitting in, everybody takes a step back and takes a breath and waits until they feel like it's time to, to kind of come out, come out and um, re-engage. I think for, you know, the beginning of um, 2023, potentially all of 2023, we're going to have an exit environment where companies are, um, they're not commanding the valuations that they did historically. I think the for example, on the software side, the multiples are going to come back down to a six to eight X most of the time. And that's a revenue multiple upon um, upon acquisition that had gotten as high as 25, 100 X. I mean, it was nuts in terms of what was happening recently. But but then we saw when these companies um, 
would get acquired, you know, the value is not holding when companies are IPOing, the value is not holding. And so I think it's a really good thing that the valuation multiples from a revenue perspective are coming way down to earth because um, ultimately it's going to create an environment for all of us along the VC stack and into the acquisition stack to make sure that um, these companies are getting valued appropriately. I'm curious with the, with the acquisitions as well. So obviously we have that with the markets. We're hoping the markets next year are, are better, which may change some things as well and accelerate uh, maybe some acquisitions. But tying into that, with what we've seen with kind of the, say the great resignation of sorts, uh, and then also combined with that, these big tech layoffs, I guess I'm curious for you, Andrew, have you seen or notice more more companies on the platform? Is there any tie into that in terms of people deciding to actually start their own businesses or anything on that? As you've seen, you know, it's been for this whole year really have these huge layoffs and talent that uh, are engineers and everything else that can create things. Have you seen anything that affecting you at all in terms of your business, Andrew? Yeah, good question. And um, to Gil's point, I, I agree in terms of just when everyone's kind of like on the same page in terms of expectations, and so on the acquisition side from what i've seen which again is on the lower end so we're talking acquisitions you know sub 20 million in 2021 like the gap between you know seller expectations and buyer expectations was so wild um it was very interesting to see you know what deals got done and what deals were like that is extremely overpriced because um private equity really didn't budge too much they weren't really as they were more on the sidelines in 20 and 21 um and this year they've been more active because founders are starting to realize like this is where your valuation is and this is buyer expectations and so that's been very beneficial to our, our business um and then in terms of you know what i'm seeing is you know for venture businesses you know, there's obviously been a huge reset in multiples for your business is not worth a hundred million if you're making a million in revenue. Um, and it never was, uh, that, that was just you know, a fun year for you. And, you know, now you gotta work through it. But, um, on, on, on micro acquire, we, we service, you know, the lower end of the market where, you know, these companies may not have raised venture capital. So they're at like one, two, three, four, five million in revenue. And we actually haven't seen a decline in multiples almost at all. Um, so at the bottom end of the market um, where they haven't raised capital, um, the acquisitions that we've seen close are still closing at, um, I think like the average SaaS acquisition over a million in revenue is between like four and seven um, X on micro bar. And that was what we saw um, previously in the years prior with some outliers. So it's been nice to, you know, have conversations with founders that are much easier now that aren't just, again, hey, like we can't list your startup for 100x revenue. It's not going to sell for that. Um, so it's definitely made our, our lives easier. And I think for both buyers and sellers, just again, closing that sort of expectation gap. But, um, you know, we'll see where that goes next year because, you know, risks on, you know, micro is, you know, if, you know, all buyers sort of just hands up, we're going to, you know, sit this year out, that would be, you know, bad for um, acquire because no acquisitions could get done. So we'll just, we'll just have to wait and see, but we actually saw some tailwinds this year and I expect those to, 
heading into next year, but um Yeah, I think they're gonna lean into to wanting to acquire more, at least from you know the the, the VC back stuff that I see. It's just a question of will the the founder and their boards take the deal. Yeah, one interesting thing I've seen too, which is kind of I don't I don't understand is where um th- if there's you know an o- I've seen this on a few occasions where there's offers on the table and they'll push the bank the company into bankruptcy rather than you know some sort of like deal where obviously they aren't going to get all their capital back, but it's a situation where it's just easier to push the company into bankruptcy, which makes no sense to me it's it's happened a few times based on just you know referrals from um you know other other people that um use micro acquire but that has been fascinating in terms of you know you have like literally a bunch of willing buyers but just bankrupting the company is the easier path and that's kind of a bummer because they have good customers good product good ip um but I think that's just a casualty. Andrew, do you think that's because there's not time? So sometimes I have founders that give me a few months and I'm like, I can't even help you because an exit process takes a while. Or or is it literally because the VCs that you're seeing do this, they just don't need the money uh, because their construction strategy and their portfolio is such that they're looking for a couple unicorns and that that's it. I I don't know. You know, I'm I'm not really I'm not a, a VC, so I can't speak to uh, you know fund structures as as well as you can. But I mean, I I could maybe just guess. Just maybe just putting into bankruptcy is probably easier for both the founders and the investors. Um, that's that's the only guess I really have. I can't imagine a found, if a founder has a buyer on the table though. I would I, I've seen founders want to make the sale because then they can say that they stole the company. I agree. That's why I think it's so interesting. And it's happened on um, only three occasions. So it's not a huge trend where I'm seeing, uh, you know, hundreds or thousands of companies doing this. Um, So they may be unique situations where maybe I don't have details, but um, there's one name in particular, I, I, I won't disclose, but it was a situation where we were able to, you know, find a buyer. They had, I believe, two, you know, letter of intents that were strong. The founders were co- clearly going to walk away with, you know, capital post acquisition, um, but this the decision, um, to my knowledge, was based on um, going into bankruptcy was the better route for the company, with hmm. a little bit of extra context. So Andrew, I don't, I you don't can know. just say it's FTX. It's fine. You don't have to be quiet about it. You don't have to. We, we all we all me. know. You we all know me. what's going me. on here. <laughs> No, no one wanted that. Someone actually did try to list FTX on on Microcar, no, and stop. we were like, "Can you prove ownership?" And then it ended there. Can he prove ownership? Who can prove ownership? I mean, uh, that, that's good. Maybe it was him, and you know, he couldn't prove ownership. You get SPF just on Microacquire checking out. I wonder if I could sell this bad boy on here. <laughs> All right, Justin, what are your what are your what's your summary on FTX? Uh, I mean, I know he's going back to the U.S. today uh, in terms of the uh, SBF, but uh, I mean, everyone's wondering about the diligence process side of it in terms of the the founders and what Sequoia was going through. I think a lot of things, uh, when I see that, I'm just like, man, this power of storytelling is crazy. <laughs> like to be able to just leverage that like no other and then creating 
this mythic mythical thing around FTX. I don't know. It just that seems to me. I, I talked to a lot of early stage founders that just like need to improve their storytelling and their narrative and everything around their company. And just seeing when it is XT like this, or even like Adam Newman and his whole aura around his big tall guy, the different funny guy, and is just like can sell like no other. It's like it's such a powerful skill, but do you get caught up in that as a as a VC? Uh, obviously they did in this particular case, but I don't know. What what do you guys think? Yeah, for me, um, so I prior to acquire, I built a crypto protocol company that was acquired um, by a company called Bank of the Future, and so I I I was part of like the big run up and the big dance, and so when it started happening again, I was like, huh, this looks very similar. I'm gonna sit this one out. Um, and so it, it's really unfortunate just to see just, you know, customers, you know, losing because it's it's really the retail customers that get hurt the hardest. Mm -hmm. um, and just, man, the, <laughs> the documentary or movie that's going to come out after that. Who like, gets I need, it? HBO, I need, Hulu? I, I, need, <laughs> I, need, I need like a big short version that kind of breaks yeah. down the whole situation like they did the financial Would crisis they explain it yeah. <laughs> just very simple terms like because i've tried to dive into it but then again I, I stay in my lane so i don't get too distracted <laughs> but it just gets odder and odder and odder and odder and then i i i you know empathize again with the the customers who lost money and you know the investors who were duped and it, it really is kind of an eye-opening thing of you know, these uh, personas that people can put on and, you know, it's kind of, again, like, uh, like a, a real deep fake, if you will, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I have lots of thoughts on this, but I, I implore the SEC to really think about, you know, how did this happen to the retail investors, which, you know, I sadly have a confession to make that I got caught up in the Voyager explosion you know, well before the FTX happened. So I was not surprised at all when this, when this occurred. Um, and so I, I lost some money, but I'm, I was reading other Voyager customers, you know, saying that their savings for a house just, you know, was evaporated because they listened to Mark Cuban endorse this product. And it's like, how in the world did we allow this to happen? And at the same time, the SEC has such strict regulations around what people can do from an angel investment perspective that it's bonkers. So I think we we really need to understand like how can we help retail investors make better decisions, but you know, give them opportunities to test out things like angel investing or or you know crypto if they want to, but there should be some safeguards there. Um, and you know, moving moving forward, last thing I'll say on FTX, like there will be a, um, a you know process of justice happen with um, our dear FTX leader, and I really hope he gets at least eleven years um, per what Elizabeth Holmes got this year, because you know she was sentenced based on what she did to professional investors. And once again, this guy just robbed, you know, thousands and you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of retail investors. So I, I hope that we set an example here because it has to stop. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Just from, you know, personal experience. And I think there's, you know, I, I think the worst thing to kind of do in this situation is kind of, you know, finger point and blame because like there's just there is, you know, celebrity endorsements like my my. Yeah. My, 
my dear friend Tom Brady, you know, he was caught up. Mark Cuban was caught up. Um, you know, there's just so many people involved. The SEC's lack of regulation. I think, you know, this is, I always think, you know, when, when really, really bad stuff happens, you know, the, there's an opportunity to really come out of it on a better side. And that includes, you know, VC due diligence, you know, uh, celebrity endorsements. Like this could be a wake up call for them as well in terms of, you know, the products that you promote, like, you know, you should really do due diligence on them in terms of, you know, the validity of it. But, you know, just, I think this is kind of one of the big explosions of when you, you know, and again, I don't think this is any one person's fault. Um, but if everyone's able to collectively come together and improve upon um, just who you're endorsing, SEC in terms of, you know, new regulations that protect retail investors, um, obviously VCs have definitely, you know, raised Rosa bar on, you know, due diligence, which is fantastic. So I think, you know, it's just a giant learning lesson, a painful one. But, you know, sometimes it's necessary for everybody to kind of have this big wake-up call um, because I saw it in, in 2018 when we had all these ICOs. And it's like, did we forget about that? Like, people were just minting <laughs> stuff out of nowhere, raising $50 million, and then it's gone. And that all was retail investors, trillions of dollars, gone again. And so this was just like the second part of the movie. And it, so I'm hopeful that, you know, there is some sort of, you know, in terms of the cryptocurrency industry or crypto, whatever you want to call it, blockchain, um, you know, some real like safeguards. What's the secured token? What's the utility token? Um, you know, how do you operate? Like the reason that these uh, exchanges operate in the Bahamas or you have Binance in wherever is because you cannot operate in the United States. And so when you when you don't have proper regulation, and I may be completely speaking um, uh, without full context, but, you know, without that clear regulation, it just opens up competitors to kind of skid legal laws, if you will. And that's where you have Coinbase kind of at a disadvantage where they can't, like they're trying to operate legally, <laughs> but they were literally, um, I remember when Binance came out, Binance came out and I believe they were in the Maldives or something like that. I don't know. Just like some Island, they bought the government, um, what it looked like. <laughs> And Coinbase is in the United States and they're just like, they're the number one trading volume exchange in the world now because they don't have to apply KYC, AML laws, any of that, you know. So I think, you know, I'm hopeful there's an overhaul because, it, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the most important people to protect, in my opinion, is the retail investors. And But yeah, what an explosion. And I don't think the trend of retail investors being interested in this stuff is going away. I mean, I think Robinhood especially created access and it's um it's something that we have to figure out really quickly we we see that on the angel side we know there's a ton of interest in terms of non-accredited non investors and new accredited investors getting started in a space and how do we make that you know easier and safer one more thing before we before we leave here i know we're almost out of time uh one trend you're excited about and andrew feel free to add a point to that if you want as well but some of you're excited about for 2023 uh, Gail, you want to go first? <laughs> well, um, I will answer this based on um, the future of work side. So there's lots of stuff happening right now. The, the, tech, the tech layoffs, I think, unfortunately, there's more layoffs coming in January after the holidays based on what I'm hearing from others. 
Um, and we're in an environment coming off of the pandemic, you know, well, we're still in it, but the newness of it, where folks have kind of reset what they want out of their life. A lot of people have moved into second and third tier cities. Their cost of living has gone down. Um, With the shakeup that we're seeing from a layoff perspective, I think that 2023 is going to be a really interesting year from a freelance perspective. So there's been a ton of growth in the freelance economy, the number of freelancers that we see in the U.S. and abroad. Um, I think that's going to continue to grow. I mean, in 2022, we invested in an infrastructure company in this space called WorkMade, and they have a really cool solution for freelancers. I, I would double and triple down that that's going to become even more important. I think corporations are going to be more willing and more interested in hiring freelancers, and it gives people a flexibility to still make a little bit of money and be okay that they were laid off. Yeah, I that was that was probably one of one of the trends. Did I, I take was, yours, Andrew? Yeah, Should have gone first. You had the opportunity. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, I think you know. I, I guess you know. I'll I'll have um, two two trends. One related towards just startups in general, and then just yeah, I just think you know um, next year there's and I think we've seen this um, kind of emerge, and the trend is just going to continue. But just you know, there's so many opportunities for people. If you hate your job, it's like you have so many different opportunities now to make money online where maybe you aren't going to be, you know, a billionaire, build a unicorn, or that's probably not what you want to do. But the amount of options you have, whether that's starting podcasts or, you know, some sort of side hustle, I think that trend is, um, you know, really, really interesting because it's liberating for a lot of people. And then I think in terms of startups, I think, you know, um, you know, just fiscal responsibility, I think. It's not really a, a trend, but I guess <laughs> I have more, more of a yes. requirement. Um, but I think, uh, you know, a little deeper than that is, you know, I think we're going to see kind of, you know, um, it's it, it was easy to raise money, but, you know, it's it's not, it's still just as hard to build a business, build a team, build a culture. And as we kind of enter, you know, maybe quote unquote, like, you know, you have peace time and you have war time. Um, you know, we're going to see, you know, who gives up during the hard times and who keeps going. And I think the companies that are able to push through these harder times are going to come out and possibly be some of the, you know, most iconic companies that we see in the next decade. So again, I'm, I'm optimistic. Um, but I think 2023 is going to be where we really see maybe even, you know, more startups just completely collapse but then we also see you know the the best of the best kind of rise at the top so i'm excited for that i'm gonna say my last thing is just the community i think people are still searching for that whether it be in person whether it be online community in some way shape or form i've noticed that on twitter i see things about it all the time i see people looking for other communities to be a part of I see people building communities uh i just think that there's more of that especially as we came out of covid people were curious about having some type of in-person thing again and as we evolved from that it's like more in-person stuff but as well as online finding your your niche communities and being a part of some type of community i think it's going to be an even bigger thing in 2023 and i'll leave it with that thank you andrew and gail for coming on our experimental episode of the show (laughs) yeah fun hey thanks for listening if you want to learn more about us head on over to vitalize.vc you can also follow us on twitter at vitalizevc or you can follow me on twitter at justin gordon 212 Have a great day and I'll talk to you in the next episode.